Welcome to the New England Football Show, sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I am joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. And yes, normally we come to you on Monday nights, but with the holidays and bowl games and football being on Monday night, we've had to shift the schedule around. We will be back to our normal Monday night time slot next week, but we figured we'd push the show back this week to tonight because we wanted to, of course, talk about Coach Mayo's introductory press conference, which was today today up at Gillette Stadium, and we're going to start with that. But before we do, I do want to remind you that if you are in the market to sell your current home or buy your first home, give our good friend Herb Devine a call at 781-254-2846. You can also email him at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to help you make your next purchase. With over 25 years of experience in the industry, Herb is genuinely one of the best. And as someone who is in the real estate business, I can tell you that there aren't many lenders and loan officers out there with Herb's resume, experience, and his attention to detail in helping you get into your next home. So if you're ready to make that move, give him a call again. That number is 781-254-2846. And of course, tonight, go Pack Go, baby. I'm rocking my Green Bay Packers sweatshirt. Of course, I'm not some bandwagon guy. I'm a native Milwaukeean, born in Milwaukee, grew up a Packers fan. First sports item I ever owned. My parents bought me a Green Bay Packers jacket, so I'm legit. It's always nice beating the Dallas Cowboys. Just to listen to Cowboy fans bellyache after the fact is fantastic. But Packers have a tough one coming up on Saturday night against the Evil Empire out in San Francisco. We don't like them either. 0-4 for the Pack in their last four meetings against the Empire. We're hoping that changes this weekend, but I think it's going to be a daunting task. I think San Francisco is the best team in the league. Should be a Super Bowl favorite, but you never know. All you need is love. We'll see. If Jordan plays at the level he's been playing the last few weeks, they have a shot. All right. Anyway, Stone is shaking his head. He didn't like that. Whatever. He'll get over it. Uh, Patriots introduced the 15th head coach in franchise history today over at Gillette Stadium. The uh, press conference was held at the new atrium uh, where the lighthouse is, the, the updated lighthouse. It's a beautiful, beautiful facility. Uh, Patriots introducing Gerard Mayo as a new head football coach. And, Kevin, you and I were both there, and I thought that, um, you know, to me, I thought, first of all, the number one thing you notice is it just felt different, right? Like the vibe was different. I felt like there was a real energy there. There was a real energy both in terms of the people that were there to cover the event, Gerard's family, uh, Gerard coming in with Bob Kraft, uh, I just thought the vibe was completely different than what we've been used to seeing there in the last 24 years or even in recent years. Yeah, I mean, so the difference to me between the Belichick press conference last week and then um, well, six days later now, it was night and day, first of all. I wrote this earlier today on our site, anyfootballjournal.com. Last week felt like a wake. Today felt like, I don't want to say a party, but there was a, a celebratory atmosphere. Um, if you will, from the time you walked in. Um, and I think it's just more so, look, we didn't cover Belichick very long, at least you and I particularly have, and I was only around him for three years. But people were always on eggshells, seemingly every single day up there. Even when it's a, a light mood, you know, a Friday, there's still a sense of, you know, walking on eggshells. And Adam, you could probably speak to that when you covered them as well. Um, and they were winning at the time, so maybe it wasn't, you know, as... I guess kind of clear as it was the last three years, but yeah, completely different atmosphere. Um, I think people were excited, particularly people in the media were excited just to get real answers. And we saw it today. Um, frankly, we saw it a few weeks ago when he talked about when Mayo talked about their report that had come out about him. He was very open and honest that day. So I think we knew what to expect today, but um, just to kind of see that energy permeate from the head coach now, um, it, it was nice to see. And I wrote this too. Um, you know, he stayed after for, I stayed for about an hour and a half and he was bouncing around doing different interviews, um, just shaking hands with different reporters who, who wanted to wish him well, um, old teammates that were there, uh, current players that were there. He was very generous with his time and, uh, who knows, maybe Belichick was too back in 2000. I don't know, but, um, it was an impressive first day. There was definitely some odd stuff that I know we're going to get into. Overall, a good day for the organization, though. And 
um, definitely a sense of change kind of uh, in the air. Yeah, I wasn't there, but to me, he seems like a pretty charismatic guy. Like, I don't think he's going to struggle dealing with the media. He seems good on his feet. Um, you know, just from first blush, he doesn't seem to be shooting people down like Belichick used to do. And you're right. You know, the it used to be a different vibe with Belichick, Kev, like you said. But it almost felt also adversarial at times where it was reporter against Belichick, <clears throat> Belichick against reporter. And I didn't get that sense from Gerard Mayo at all. He seemed like kind of an open book and sort of the total opposite of Belichick in that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I thought Kevin hit the nail on the head. You know, I thought we all got a chance to, to meet him. Those of us that didn't know him, obviously there's a lot of people there, the veteran reporters in that group that knew him as a player, covered him as a player. And, and even knew him when he did media, let's not forget that for a period of time, he was a member of the media working with NBC sports Boston. So it was great to see him commiserating with all the members of the media, introducing himself. I overheard him saying to a couple of the veteran members of the local media that um, he's going to be more transparent. He's going to be more open to the media, that it's not going to be as guarded. And that was good to hear. And look, and I've only covered the team for a short amount of time. I was around the team during the first part of the dynasty during my radio days. But regardless of when you've been around this organization over the course of the 24 years that Belichick was here, you felt like you were in Area 51. You couldn't really – you didn't know what you could ask, not ask. You didn't know how he was going to react. You didn't know what you could say. Um, it, it was just a really, really odd vibe. And now it was refreshing today in many ways. I don't want to overstate things because it's it was his press conference. I mean, we've got a long way to go before this hiring can be deemed a success. But early on, yeah, it's a success just simply because the energy in the room was different. The vibe was different. I think it was it was such a change of pace. I mean, let's not forget, 24 years is a long time, guys. I mean, he was here for a long time. So naturally, the reaction to the new guy is going to be totally different just because the other guy was here for so long. Um, there was some th stuff that was said that I thought was really interesting. For one, um, and we can jump into that now, what was said. For one, he kept talking about that he's going to be more inclusive, that it's going to be a more diverse environment. That, that he's not going to be living in an echo chamber, that, that he's going to listen to feedback, and he wants a more collaborative approach. And my takeaway from that was twofold. One, it made me wonder if Robert Kraft and his family took a step back and looked at the operation and said, we're not inclusive enough. We're not diverse enough. We're not giving enough people opportunities. So I think that's one piece of this. And then the other part of it is, was it a situation where the way they operated was antiquated? The Patriots have the second smallest scouting department in the NFL behind the Cincinnati Bengals, which is very telling. But was the way they were operating antiquated because Belichick was a totalitarian, totalitarian dictator of sorts? Was it antiquated? Was it all about what Belichick wanted and only doing what Belichick wanted? And so was part of the reason they moved on from him was so that they could bring someone in who would listen to people, uh, take input, listen to people's ideas, and apply some of what he's being told. It, that, to me, reading between the lines, and I don't know how you feel about this, Kevin, but reading between the lines, I thought that there was a lot of that there. There was a lot to unpack, but I felt that throughout the course of the press conference, in many ways it was an admission by the Crafts and the Patriots that they might not be as diverse or as, as open-minded as they think they are, and clearly there was a lack of collaboration there because that was one of the major talking points. Yeah, no, I agree. And one of the bigger things for me was Robert Kraft just outright saying, I wish I had hired Bill in 96. Like, this is a complete gut instinct um, decision on their part, and they're rolling with it, whether fans like it or not. Uh, I also found it interesting that there were cheap shots thrown at Bill today several times. Um, and really? Cheap shots see, might I didn't the right see that, but I've had people reach out to me to tell me that they thought so, there were cheap shots there. So cheap shots might not necessarily be the right word, because I do think Mayo respects Bill. But there were some jabs in there today, particularly, you know, you mentioned the collaboration stuff. And 
um, not wanting to be in echo chambers, which is something he also said last week when he, or however many weeks ago when he, he answered Karen's question on that report. So, um, look, I do think that they, they felt like Bill had taken just too much control flat out. Um, and, and when he was asked about, you know, titles today too, that stood out to me saying how important he feels titles are. That's a shot at Bill right there. Um, and then also he was bringing up, um, specific examples of kind of, you know, knowing what you don't know. And he talked about squatting. And if you remember the Rob Gronkowski story, when he hurt his back, um, it was due to the weight training, you know, weight training program that Belichick did or didn't want him doing. So I just thought there were subtle little shots here and there, you know, maybe not, maybe on purpose, maybe not, but they, it was an open season on bill, but there was some stuff there today. And I do think they felt like we need to take it step to your point. We need to take a step back, kind of reevaluate how we operate as a business. Um, and again, you heard him bring up Optum a few times as well. Um, they are now running this more like a, um, more like a company than a football team. I think, I think that was sort of the biggest takeaway today. Yeah. I think to me, it's just a matter of it for so long. It was Bill's way or the highway, and he was the final voice on everything. And so maybe what Mayo is saying is, that, like, I'll have the final call on a lot of things, but I'm also going to listen to what people have to say. And, you know, because if you're in an echo chamber, I think what he's saying is if you're in an echo chamber, you don't have a diversity of opinions coming at you, you're going to get stuck going the wrong way. And I, I think he just wants to open up a dialogue, I guess. It would be a way of uh, putting it um, and getting getting the best ideas regardless. It, it's sort of sort of humbling yourself and saying, okay, I'm not – I don't know everything. And maybe they're saying that Bill would walk around, you know, uh, he knows everything, right? But um, – No, I think you bring up a good point. To Kevin's point about the squatting piece – he talked about leaning on the experts and people that are experts in certain facets of the operation. So to your point, Adam, he did talk about that today, that guess what? I'm not going to know everything, that I am going to have to lean on certain people in certain areas of the operation in order for this to work. Yeah. No, and, and I think, too, the other thing here is, is that I didn't interpret a lot of what he was saying as shots at Belichick. I interpreted it more as, the flaws in their operation. Now I could see where you're coming from, Kevin, where you're saying those are shots at Belichick and, and that's, and, and I, I get it. Like you're right. I mean, you could interpret that as because he did run everything. So in, in many ways, yeah, maybe you're right. Those were shots at Belichick. I don't think he was intending them as shots at Belichick. I just think he was simply pointing out the flaws of the way they operated. And, and, and look, Again, like I said, and I'm glad you mentioned it, that this is now running more like a business than it is a football operation. Now, I did think it was interesting when the Globe's Ben Volan asked Kraft where his son Jonathan was. And Kraft's response was, well, he's not here because he got tied up in one of our other businesses with a situation that came up. A couple of things. One, I'm not sure that was the right answer. Because you had to know if you were them that they were going to be asked about that. So I'm not quite sure that was the right answer, knowing that you could potentially be asked, where's Jonathan? Because let's face it, Robert Kraft is, what, 82, 83 years old? He's, how much longer is he going to be the face of this franchise? Eventually, Jonathan is going to take over the day-to-day -day operations of the franchise. So people want to know that. He does need to be more present moving forward because he is going to take over here in in the coming years. But the other thing that I thought was interesting is that when Greg Bedard asked him about why not go through the head coaching process, which is what I have said all along, I don't have a problem with you hiring Gerard Mayo, but go through the process and then hire Gerard Mayo, bring in other candidates, bring in offensive coaches, talk to them, pick their brains, see what the rest of the league is doing from a trend standpoint so that you can possibly implement some of those things and make some of the necessary changes to start winning again. The fact that he just sat up there the entire press conference and kept talking about how he went with his gut instinct, look, the guy's a billionaire. I'm never going to question his gut instinct because he's been a very successful person in this world. However, 
I still think even if your gut instinct is that, hey, we think this guy's the guy, go through the process. Go through the process. It's the same thing with the with a hiring a potential general manager, which the crafts have never done. Go through the process, which I want to get into that too, because that was a weird response to that question, in my opinion. But I want to come back to Jonathan Kraft for a second. Were you surprised by that answer? Yeah, and not only that, if you remember the email that I think we got on Friday or whenever they officially announced when the press conference was, it was listed as Jonathan Robert Mayo being up there. And the first thing when I saw you today, I said, hey, look, there's only two chairs there. Um, and now, uh, me wanting the chaos, I was hoping it was Jonathan and not Robert. Um, that was obviously never going to happen. But, yeah, st- um, very surprising. And fr- frankly, look, I know they have a bunch of other companies. What the hell is more important than today? He's your number like, one employee a, in your companies. Correct. Right? Correct. He's your most important uh, like, was employee. There I, mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. Was there a fire at like one of the tree companies? Like, come on, man. You got to be there today. Like, that's that's a bad look. And, um, and you guys both know I had the pleasure of talking to Jonathan a couple of times at BC. Very nice guy. Um, I was very, very surprised that he was not there today. And it's a bad look, especially when he's on that email. Um, and then not only that, this Robin Glazier now gets a promotion um, to senior, I believe it's senior advisor to the head coach. And I know there's another title in there as well, but that happens after the media leaves today. So um, very weird dynamic in terms of how they are going to build the staff. Um, I worry collaboration is great until you have too many voices in there. So uh, I'm not worried. The kitchen. That's why adages like that exist. Exactly. So uh, I'm very worried about the the dynamic, but I do also trust Mayo. It feels like they're going to go outside the box in terms of coordinator and maybe GM. Um, I'm hoping that's the case. But, yeah, weird dynamic with Kraft not being there and a weirder dynamic with just the way they're handling this entire situation in terms of the GM. Yeah. um, I'm I'm just trying to think of what – if they did hold Jonathan out on purpose, if you want to get into a conspiracy theory, but why? Like, what? What? Like, why hold him out? It doesn't make sense. Like, I, yeah. I get if they did it last week because, I mean, we're all well aware that he didn't have the greatest relationship with Belichick the last few years. But why today? Yeah, I, I don't know, but we'll speculate. <laughs> um, you know, I think that. Um, Look, that's one of the parts of today that you you wonder about, and I'm not sure, um, you know, but I do think it was a positive day, like on the whole. It's a good day for Patriots fans and Patriots alike. This is, you know, who your guy is. This is who he is. You know, this is what he sounds like, and you know, it's it's just like, I think it was a, a pretty good day for the organization, but I I do. You know, the, the, the timing of some of this stuff does make you wonder. Well, the other thing is Belichick is clearly being scapegoated here. He's the fall guy. He's blamed for everything that's gone wrong the last four years, especially the last two. Let's be real here. Because you moved off of him, but you didn't you didn't fire anyone else. You've even you've even told his kids that they have a job here if they want it. You made no changes to the front office. So if, if you're coming off a 4-13 season and he sat up there a week ago and said that he was looking for a head coach who was going to help them win again, and then he's looking to win again, and then the most important thing other than his family is the Patriots and winning, then again, I go back to the point I made earlier, go through the head coaching process and now go through the general manager process. Because again, doing your due diligence is important. As a, And believe me, no one hates committees more than me. I hate committees. I think committees are an affront for people who are afraid to make decisions because they don't want to deal with the backlash of a decision they made. Okay? That's really what I believe. However, all that being said, as phony as I think committees are and as phony as some of these processes are, you have to go through the process because then you're showing people that are stakeholders in your organization that you're doing your due diligence to find the best people. And again, I have no problem with hiring Gerard Mayo. Do I think that they should have entertained hiring an offensive guy, given their situation? Yes. But if you said to me, look, we're going to interview these three offensive coaches and then hire Mayo, I'm okay with that. You know what? 
I know a lot of people are going to point to his resume, but you can clearly see it today. He has a presence. He's well-spoken. He commands respect. He is respected. I think he's genuine. I think he's going to do just fine. If they get a quarterback, turn the offense around, hire the right offensive coordinator, the defense will be in, in, in pretty good hands, at least for the next couple of years. I think that this is a team next year that can win six, seven, eight games and at least flirt with playoff contention. My issue is not with hiring Jerron Mayo. My issue is with not going through a process and then hiring him. And my other issue is that he gets up there today, Kraft, and talks about how, well, we want to see what these people can do. And then based on that, we'll decide if we want to hire a general manager. I mean, look, the bottom line is this. If you're serious about moving on from Belichick and his antiquated way of doing things, then why not start the process of restructuring and and, change, and and pivoting on the infrastructure of the organization. The fact that they're not willing to at least entertain that along the front office makes no sense to me. So it'll be interesting to see. Mayo was asked about that today. A, how much of a voice is he going to have in terms of personnel decisions? And B, Kraft was asked who's going to make the final call. And again, they went back to the collaborative piece that it's going to be a collaborative effort. So Yeah, just to your point, if nothing else, going through a search, you haven't found out any new offensive um, ideas, I guess, in 25 years. You've ran the exact same offense. If nothing else, go pick the brain of other teams or, or other GMs that you haven't you know, been able to interact with for years. Get some new ideas. If you stay in-house, great, but you now have more ideas to choose from instead of just narrowly focusing on what you've done for 25 years. So it's almost a disservice to the rest of the organization, not to at least bring new ideas in, too. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. A couple of things real quick. Offensive coordinator, what do you think they do there? You had to speculate early on. Adam, go ahead. I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know who would be available. Uh, I wouldn't – I mean, I'm not sure if they'd dip into the college ranks um, or found somebody – um, of like mind, or, or you know, I wouldn't mind them going in a totally new direction, totally different offense, you know, just a different voice. I think that could help too. So the one I've heard lately that I love the idea of is Nick Cayley. Um, I, I think it was two years ago. His vo- his name was really kind of bouncing around um, before Patricia and uh, Judge ultimately took over. He's been under McVay. Now, look, he's still a Patriots guy and grew up in this organization. But anybody that's been under McVay, I want to hear what their ideas are, at least. So um, I like the idea of that. I I do still think McDaniels is on the table, uh, but he's probably going to go wherever Bill goes, if Bill goes anywhere. Um, But I'm with that. I want – I would love a new looking offense and all that. Um, But I also won't be surprised if it's Bill O'Brien or – um, someone else that they're familiar with. So I think they end up staying with someone they know. Um, and I hope it's Nick Cayley at this point, but I'm hoping it's completely out of left field. You know, someone we haven't even heard of. Yeah, I think it depends on what you want to do. I mean, I know that Nick Cayley is a name that's being mentioned because people know Nick Cayley. Um, this isn't a knock on 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 the media in this market, but I mean, okay, so Nick Cayley coached here before. He coached under McVay as a position coach. So my question would be, what makes him the right fit to be your next offensive coordinator? Is it because familiarity? He coached here and he has some idea of what's on your roster. Is it because you're hoping that he brings some of that Shanahan modern West Coast offense with him? I mean, what makes Nick Cayley the guy you should hire? For me, I just think the crowd's ultimately – and again, we keep going back to what they know. I think they want something they know. Yeah. Um, and if I, I think if you're going that. to, if you're going to, go, if you're going to go with the familiarity, I'd at least like a guy. Yes, you know him, but he also has. He's been outside the tree now. You know, he's been outside um, the trust tree, if you will. He's at least seen and 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 heard other ideas and how um, an offensive guy works. At the very least, I don't love it, but I I would love it. Compared to the other and, and I think but, the other thing, uh, and I think the other thing to keep in mind here is, is that you don't need to run what the 49ers run or the Packers 
or the Rams or the Dolphins. You don't need to run that. You you can score points and win in this league not running that system. And I get it. I know people are going to – they get attached to what's in vogue. In, in, in the 80s, it was a run and shoot. And then in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, what, are, what is Mike Martz and the Rams doing? Greatest show on turf. And, and then you – eventually the West Coast offense makes a comeback. It becomes more multiple. And then you get this – variation of Mike Shanahan's West Coast offense. Look, all that stuff is great. At the end of the day, as the late, great Joe Paterno once taught us, it's not about X's and O's. It's about the Jimmys and the Joes. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter what you run if you don't have the players. And right now, they don't have the players. That's the bottom line. They don't have a, a competent enough skill group to win football games with. So it doesn't matter what you run, as my uh, earpiece falls off. It doesn't matter what you run. It really doesn't. And and I'll take it a step further. I don't have a problem with interviewing Nick Cayley and bringing him in, but I'd like to see them go outside the Patriot organization and the Patriot family, if you will. Mike LaFleur is not the primary play caller with the Rams. He was the offensive coordinator with the Jets. It's easy to point to that and say, he didn't do a good job there. They canned him. He ended up in L.A. Fine. But – this would be his second opportunity. Bring him in. Bring someone like a Brian Greasy in, who's the quarterback's coach of the 49ers. Bring in Frank Smith. He's the offensive coordinator with the Dolphins, but he's not the primary play caller. My point is there are going to be plenty of coaches out there that are good coaches, good offensive coaches that could do a good job. But if you don't upgrade the talent on this roster, it doesn't matter what system you run, okay? Motion is motion. Shifting is shifting. Okay. The bottom line is it's all about the players of the teams that are left in the NFL playoffs. These are teams that have elite quarterbacks. These are teams that have complementary skill groups of those quarterbacks. And oh, by the way, they've played either have played pretty good defense down the stretch or have played good defense all year. So for me, it doesn't matter who he hires as the offensive coordinator until they upgrade that skill group and figure it out at quarterback. Who cares what they're going to run? It's not going to matter. So, I agree. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's really what it comes down to. All that being said, it's going to be an intriguing hire. One other thing from today before we move on. Um, Did you find it interesting? Mac Jones was one of the few players there. Is that dead? I did not, because while I think that the media and fans alike have written him off around here. I don't think the Patriots have written him off. I'm not closing the book on no, Mac Jones quite yet. yet. No, I've been saying that for weeks. Uh, I could see a scenario where him and Zappi are both back. But, yes, and I'll um, take it a step further. I think he's the owner's guy. I think the owner wanted him in 2021, and that's why they drafted him. And I think that if they hire a guy who can come in and tell them that I can fix him and get him back on track if you put the requisite pieces around him, then I could see a scenario where they either take Marvin Harrison Jr. at three or trade down, address the offensive line, add additional picks, and plug those other holes that way. I could see that playing out. I know there's a lot of people out there that want Drake May and Jaden Daniels, but don't hold your breath on that quite yet. I'm not so sure they're going to go in that direction. Yeah, I think I think um... – what they have for ideas for offense, how to fix that, that's, I think, the whole ball of wax right there. If they can fix the offense and keep the, the defense this or almost as close to this good, then they'll be back in business. Yeah, and I said this last week when I was on with Joe Murray on 98.5. Mayo's life's going to change now. When you're the position coach, everybody loves you. You're You're – your position players love you. They love playing for you. You're their guy. You're their advocate. You go to the coordinator on their behalf. You go to the head coach on their behalf. Everybody loves you. Even if you coach them hard, as long as you're respectful to them and you're coaching them hard, they're going to love playing for you. And even when you're the coordinator, they love playing for you, especially if you're putting them in a position to make plays and make money. Okay. But his life is going to change now. You're not going to be the most popular coach on the staff anymore, believe it or not. You're going to be making decisions on their off-season strength training regimen. You're going to be making decisions on their diet. You're going to be making decisions whether or not they're going to remain on the roster. You're going to be making decisions on 
whether or not you're going to pick players to potentially replace them down the road. So Jerron Mayo is going to realize pretty quickly, you're going to go from being a guy who's very popular. And look, I haven't coached in the NFL. I haven't coached in FBS or FCS college football, but I've coached at every other level. And I can tell you this, I've been there. When you're the position coach, when you're the coordinator, hey, your crap don't stink. They love you. They love playing for you. As soon as you become the head coach, so everything changes. Everything changes. You're the guy that's going to be telling guys at the end of training camp they're not making your roster. So, yes, do I think Mayo will still be beloved and respected? Yeah, I think so. I think his players are going to love playing for him, and I think that they are going to respect him and follow him and do as he says. But I do think that their relationship is going to change, and it's going to change a lot more than people think because I've said this forever. In any role in life, if 80% of the people you deal with like you, you're doing something right. Because not everybody in life, no matter what your job is or what it entails, not everybody in life is going to like you or agree with every decision you make. So if you're if you're batting around 800, if 80% of people you deal with like you and agree with you, you're doing really well. And I think Mayo, if Mayo embraces that, I think he's going to be fine. Either way, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this offseason plays out. The vibe, like I said, the vibe was good up there. Everybody's happy. Everybody was 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 excited today. And I do think that in many ways, this move is also going to be good for the fans. It's going to be good for the fans because I think you're going to have a coach who's actually going to be more of an open book. Now, he's not going to tell you what they're running. He's not going to give you insight into their game planning. He's not going to talk personnel. He's still going to have certain things he's not going to talk about. But you're going to be able to joke with him. You're going to be able to, to share a laugh with him. And while you did that with Bill, you did that on Bill's terms. If Bill came out and said something stupid at the beginning of a press conference or, or media availability, everybody did that. <laughs> right? Like, they, they didn't know how to really react. Like, wait, you told well, a joke. Should, oh, let me laugh. Just the, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be different. Just the, Friday, just the Fridays alone. Like, you do the first five minutes if you could joke with him or not. Yeah. Like, that was, even those were awkward. I don't think you're going to have any of that. Um, is he going to be frustrated at times and, and maybe give some shorter answers? Sure. Anybody would. You're human. Well, you saw that today. He didn't, when he was asked about what did he see in terms of a, of their record next year and, and could they be right. a playoff team, he, ba he gave yeah. the same answer on three or four separate occasions that we're evaluating everything right now that I'm not going to get into that. So you, you're still going to get a lot of that, believe me. He's yeah. He's, he's going to give you a little bit more. He's not going to. He's not going to open the vault and let you walk around. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, again, the eggshells are gone. That's all. Yep. I'd love to see him do something like Parcells used to do, where do a quick little off-the-record half-hour thing with the media on a Friday, turn off the uh, phones and, and the microphones, and let's let's talk shop here. You know, I I think that stuff like that has so much value, so much value. It does. Now, I didn't do it when I was a head coach. It's not like I pulled you aside. Stone and was like, Kevin, what do you think of what we're doing? I didn't do that, but but honestly, I if I were to become a head coach again, I would seriously not not that I'm gonna buddy up with the media, but I I I would I would probably operate a little different because there were times when I was a head coach, and granted it was high school football, it's not nearly the same, but when I was a head coach, there were times where I, I could be rough around the edges. So I get you mean what's that? I say you mean you didn't want me ripping you with a Nolan record? <laughs> no. In fact, the one time you did rip me, I confronted you about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I asked you, you, you. I don't know if you remember this. It was the week of the Denim game. You're sitting in the stands. That article came out. And I called you down, and we had a little chat about it. So maybe I did deal with the media better than I give myself credit for. I don't know. Hey, listen, all I know is that that time of you covering us, we formed a relationship, and it led to this. So there you go. In the end, it's all good. You are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show, sponsored by Mortgage Rate. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Just a reminder, if you are in the market to sell your current home or buy your first home, give our good friend Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846, or shoot him an email at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights, and weekends to answer any questions you may have. Matt Curran joins the show, and he says, quote, I recall that you deserved it. <laughs>
He's just, he's just a John Serenitas hater. Hater. <laughs> Thanks for checking in, Matt. Appreciate it, brother. Um, Matt and I go way back. So he uh, he can bust my jobs anytime. He's one of the best at doing it, so I appreciate it. Uh, all right, obviously, there are there is other football news in the area. Real quick, uh, Kevin, you wrote a piece over the weekend on Holy Cross and Dan Curran and his staff, and, and just uh, some thoughts on that piece, obviously. You know, Bob Chesney leaves, goes to James Madison. Of course, Ches announces his staff down there yesterday. But um, some really quality hires here by Dan Curran. I think that this Holy Cross train is going to keep moving along with this staff. Um, to put it simply, great recruiters, better people. Um, I think we all know most of the staff. We've, we've interacted with them plenty. Um, and Dan talked about this at length in the piece. If you can sell... You know, getting to know a kid is one thing, but selling something that you truly believe in is another. You know, you can talk up a kid all you want and make him think he's the greatest thing since, you know, sliced bread. But if he gets to that that campus and he sees that you don't, you know, honestly believe what you were selling him, especially with the portal now, well, he's gone in a year or two. So the key for them, and especially with no graduate program, is recruiting kids that want to stay for four years. Um, and I think he has a staff around him now that can really build those relationships and make sure kids want to stay. That's how Chesney's teams got so good. I mean, how many kids, you know, do we see coming or going out of that program? Not many. Like that core that was so good year, and then even this season, that core built everything up together. Um, so again, being able to maintain those those relationships and um, and keep kids on campus especially in the day of the portal. It's huge. And um, you can't say enough good things about the guys that he's put around him. I feel like Dan Curran has been so plugged in to the local football scene for decades now. I just feel like he makes good decisions. I think he's an excellent recruiter of this area. He knows the, the underrated guys who need offers just as much as the big-time guys. Um, I think this staff staff is of good people, good coaches, good recruiters. Like I said, I think I can't th- I can't speak any higher of Dan Curran as a, a leader of a program. He's such a stand-up guy, and, you know, he knows what it takes to build. And as good as Holy Cross is, he wants him to get even better. And so I think he's – a guy who's capable of doing that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think he's hired a terrific staff that's, and again, I don't say that the previous staff didn't do this, but I think they're going to emphasize recruiting in Massachusetts and New England, probably even a little bit more. And and while maintaining that national base. So I, I, I think that Holy Cross is in really good hands. Obviously you got to replace a lot of talent, but I think that this is now a staff, that's going to take advantage of the talent that's still there that's coming back, and they're going to supplement the roster and and populate it with even more talented players. Speaking of talented players, the key cog in that Holy Cross offense the last four years has been quarterback Matthew Sluka. Sluka surprisingly committed to UNLV yesterday. I was surprised by that. Coach Odom out at UNLV has done a tremendous job turning that program around. But I thought that that was an interesting decision. No real connection to that program. They did lose their talented freshman quarterback, Jordan Maeva, who is transferring to USC. But overall, I was surprised that Sluka's transferring out there. Yeah, no, I was. that, that was not a school I was expecting to see um, with his name attached to it. Two things immediately came to mind. One, as far as I know, he got some pretty big-time offers from big-time schools. So either he thought it was a chance to kind of, you know, go off in the sunset with with maybe some padded stats, um, or we all know him, we've all talked to him, we've all interacted with him. He's a very laid-back kid. So Vegas sort of fits him, you know, personality-wise at least. Um, so that part isn't as surprising. The football part was very surprising to me, though. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about UNLV, but – I know that Sluka is a, a terrific player. Just It's so fun to watch him drop back and then think, is he going to pass? Is he going to run? 
it seems like he always catches the defense uh, off balance, and he's just a terrific football player. I can't wait to see what he does at UNLV. Yeah, and he's going to have a chance to compete for the starting job, but they do have a returning starter quarterback who missed all of 2023, so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Again, I was surprised. I think a lot of us had him pegged as possibly joining old coach Bob Chesney down at JMU. He did not. He had a bunch of other schools that were interested. He had multiple offers. Ultimately, he decides on UNLV. And again, when you look at where Sluka is, 6'3", 215, dynamic dual-threat quarterback, big, strong, can improve as a passer, though. His numbers were good. He could be a little inconsistent. He's got to take better care of the football, both as a thrower and as a runner. But there's no question about it. UNLV is getting a really good one, someone who could step in and start and help them get back to another nine-win, possibly ten-win season next year. Both UMass and UConn also active in the portal this past week. UConn, of course, unveiling that they added ten transfers through the transfer portal. Both programs coming off tough seasons. Once again, UMass, Don Brown has made it no secret that he's going to live in the portal. He has been trying, he and his staff have been trying to build a more organic roster through high school recruiting. But the Minutemen, once again, dip into the portal. Yeah, I feel like this is how it's going to be until they find better stability as a program. You know, right now, both these teams are really coming off tough years. And they want nothing more than to turn it around quickly. And this is the best way to do it. You know, I I would love to see these programs really build in high school recruiting. I think that's the best way to do it. But I feel like you you can't not be involved in the portal in, in modern college football. You have to have some presence in the portal. These teams have a lot of it. You're talking about 12 to 14 guys. Um, so that's a big part of your team. And, you know, I guess this is all sort of like a petri dish. You know, you just sort of seeing how how this works. Um, but, you know, you could say that both these teams have to do it this way. But, um, yeah, it's just it's it's a difficult, difficult way to go about it. But they want to win and they want to win now, and this is the fastest way of doing it in their eyes. Yeah, I mean, especially UConn. Um, for me, they – they should be living in it for the next two to three years. Um, you had the bowl bid two years ago. You fall flat on your face. Well, now what? Like, are you going to go the high school route? Jim Moore doesn't want to do that. I think he's more about kind of results first now, whereas UMass is still in that rebuild, um, the slower rebuild, I should say, uh, where they can kind of do both. The bigger news for UMass for me this weekend was K-Ron Lynch-Adams coming back. Huge. Um, and, I wrote this on, and I wrote this on Saturday. Now, UMass is not necessarily a destination, but it, it allows you to now think, well, hey, maybe I should go there instead of it being a last-case scenario. This is my last shot to play D1. I guess I'll go there, see what happens, probably hop in the portal in a year. Well, if you have a talented kid like that coming back with a great quarterback, with good receivers, well, kids might now kind of look at UMass and say, hey, maybe this is a better option than than somewhere else. So I thought they had a bigger weekend than UConn did, than UConn did. But for both schools, yeah, you're right, Adam. The portal is – it's the only way to go for those two schools right now. You're not competing at a high level in D1 unless you're bringing in experience and talent out of the portal right now. It's just the way college football is. No, and both programs were able to restock their rosters. UConn needed to, especially at key positions. They're, they're, they're graduating – couple of linebackers they needed to address that area they did that with this group that they're bringing in wide receiver these are all positions that they needed to to either fill or upgrade from last year and even when you look at UMass I mean again focusing on wide receiver you bring in guys like Keyshawn Brown you bring in a guy like Frank Ladson who was transferring in from the University of Miami these guys are expected to come in and make an impact in Steve Kasul's offense and you mentioned K-Ron Lynch-Adams. I mean, that's huge for them. He was arguably the best back in New England last year. We had him as, as a second-team running back on our all-New England team that we unveiled uh, earlier this week. But, you know, for me, the way I look at it, getting him back is huge. You're getting a guy back who, if he stays healthy, 
with the guys you have back up front, he's a guy that can rush for 1,400 yards next year. So that's huge in an offense that really grew up and developed as last year went on, and they're only going to get better. And they've done a nice job in the portal and in recruiting to where they've got the talent at the skill positions. With Tyson Fumashan back, this UMass offense could be really, really good in 2024. So uh, a lot of good things happening at UMass and UConn as both programs look to get on track. UConn looking to get back on track. UMass looking to take another step into possibly becoming a bowl contender. Of course, the big news of the day, and actually before I get to that, I briefly wanted to talk about our uh, all-New England teams, our Division One all-New England teams. You know, I've gotten some really good feedback on our teams, and I really appreciate it. I know a lot of people out there were surprised to see us have Thomas Castellanos as our third-team quarterback. But, guys, I mean, look, it's not easy, but check the stats. Matthew Suka and Max Brosmer were both very good last year. So it was a hard decision for me. I, I own it. I'm the one that compiled those teams. Uh, but at the end of the day, Castellanos had a tremendous year tremendous year accumulating over 3,000 yards of total offense but I gave those guys a slight edge and part of the reason I did is consistency right those guys have had a body of work the last couple years I felt they deserved those spots as always you're always going to leave a guy or two out okay and and I know we've gotten that feedback and I understand it and we appreciate it we want the feedback because whether it be our high school all-star teams or our college all-star teams we want them to best represent the talent in the region. I think we did that with our teams. There's a lot of good talent. There's a lot of players that made our team last year that did not have great years, didn't make it this year. So um, certainly when you're compiling those teams, though, sometimes it becomes a numbers game and you're going to leave somebody out. Yeah, I think with any list, you're going to miss guys. There's guys you're not going to think of. Like for the All-State team, there are a couple guys maybe four or five guys that I totally forgot and I left out and it was a bad feeling, but, you know, uh, that's how these lists go. You can't list everybody, so what are you going to do? Um, but I think um, to your quarterbacks, Brosner and uh, and Sluka had unbelievable seasons. And if you're talking about importance to your team, it might be one or the other, but the stats don't lie, and I think um, – you know, Brosman and Saluka both had tremendous seasons. Yeah, they did. And look, yeah. Chevy Eckhaus was honorable mention. He was the big South Offensive Player of the Year. He's going to Washington State. So, again, it's hard, man. I mean, you could sit there. And, Adam, you and I have talked about this with the high school lists. When it comes to quarterbacks, you can go on and on and on forever. There's always going to be a bunch of good quarterbacks. But ultimately, you got to go with who you think – you know, deserves those honors. And it is, and listen, it, it is open to interpretation and everybody has a different opinion. Go ahead, Kevin. No, just to the point about the quarterbacks, just use your eyes. Like the position is one of the, you know, who's the best passer overall? Castellanos is not a great passer. He's electrifying with his legs. But if you're talking quarterback, those two guys are way above him still in terms of being a pocket guy or just able to throw or, um, their decision-making in general. So, um, yeah, he's a fantastic athlete. He'll probably be the best quarterback in in the region this upcoming year. But this season, hell, you could have put Jake Wilcox ahead of him, um, in my opinion, at least. So, um, great athlete, but those guys are significantly better passers and decision-makers. Yeah, no, no doubt. Finally, we'd be remiss, of course, if we didn't talk about the other big news of the day. It kind of got overshadowed with Mayo's introductory press conference, but Harvard head coach Tim Murphy officially retired today after 30 years at the helm of the Crimson, one of the best coaching careers we've seen in New England college football history. And uh, for us, it's bittersweet because we're big fans of Tim Murphy. He's been very good to us, always generous with his time, but Murph is a legend. And I was fortunate enough, and Murph probably doesn't even remember this, to have a casual interview conversation with him about an opening on his staff for what amounts to a GA. Um, I didn't end up getting it, but I walked away from that experience thinking to myself, that's a guy I want to work for someday. Um, he is the ultimate what you see is what you get guy. You know where you stand at all times. 
You could tell, you know, with that military background that he operated that way in his life, the way he ran that program. Um, it's a big loss for New England college football. Murph was one of one. And we lost a, a legend in Buddy Tevens earlier this past fall. And, and um, you know, now we're, we're not going to see Murph coach anymore. Obviously, you know, he's still with us, but we're not going to see him coach anymore. But he really is a legend. And I don't think people realize how big a loss this is in the New England college football scene because, like I said, Murph was one of one. Yeah. I'll be interested to see what he has to say um, tomorrow during a Zoom press conference. But you said it. I mean, not only was he great to us, being around that program the last three years and just watching, you know, I don't want to say them, but man, there is a an element of, you know, not wanting to let a parent down. Or, you know what I mean? Like, those kids wanted to yeah. play and do everything they possibly could to make sure Murphy was not mad at them. You know, that's the, that's the only way I can put it. Um, the, what struck me today, it's a shame his last game is going to be a loss to Yale. Um, I wish he came back just, you know, to kind of write that wrong. But um, phenomenal person to deal with. Um, again, kids, they don't just respect him. They, again, one of those things, but they don't want to let him down at all times. So um, just an awesome guy. Um, it's funny. We talked to him last year on the show and we jokingly said, you know, what are you going to do after football? And he said, I had no idea. You, you know, it's all I know. And, and John, you know, this. most coaches will say that, you know, all they know is football. So, um, so and it's hard to walk to away. He does. You know, it's hard yeah. to walk away yeah. when that's your life, whether you're a high school coach, college professional coach, it, it doesn't matter. It's hard to walk away because football is very, it it's it's addicting to put it mildly. So it's it's hard to walk away. For me, um, he was such a gentleman. You know he he had that gravit gravitas or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, gravitas. Um, gravitas. He was to me the perfect coach for Harvard yep. because he just had that. He just had that air about him, you know. It was it was cool, I, you know. And I, I can, you know, I didn't know him too well, but when I did, when I was at Mass Varsity, I covered a, a Harvard, I think a Harvard Rhode Island game, and that was I think the first time I'd ever interacted with him. And then the next time I saw him was at the coaches' clinic at Gillette, and he he did a piece on RPO, which was awesome. Um. You know, you can tell how good of a coach he is when he's just sort of taking you through the steps. And I went to talk to him afterward. I put out my hand thinking he didn't remember me. Was like, and he goes, hi, Adam, how you doing? And I was just like, how do you remember my name from months ago, you know, for, uh, when I was one of a million reporters in the room? So that's what I'll take away from. He was just a good guy. And, you know, just when you think Harvard football coach, you, you think of him. And uh, I, it's it's too bad that he's stepping down, but I hope he enjoys his retirement. Yeah, he's earned it. He deserves it. Like I said, he's one of one. Murph's a class act. He's 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 an awesome guy. And um, like I said, it's not going to be the same. You know, we lost we lost Coach Stevens, and now Murph's retiring. And it's one of those things where you know, I say it to people all the time. I love covering college football, and I love covering Ivy League football. It is. Truly a passion of mine. I enjoy the first of all, the football is fantastic. The atmosphere is fantastic. And it's because of the players and the coaches. You know, that's the thing that that makes Ivy League football so special. And Tim Murphy was a big part of that. And if you get to know these people, whether it's Murph or whether it was Buddy or whether it's Tony Reno, who's another salt of the earth human being, just a great dude, James Perry Don at Brown. Um, you know, Sammy McCorkle now at Dartmouth is just an awesome guy. When you get to be around these people and you get to be around these kids, because let me tell you something, there's a lot of people out there that'll say to me, is it good football? Yeah, it's good football. That Look at how many of those guys are transferring now and playing power five ball as grad transfer. Or in the NFL. Like, you know, it, right. There's a ton of talent at the Ivy League level, guys that can play at the next level. So um, Murph's been a big part of that. And he's not only been – the face of Harvard football, but 
He's been one of the faces of Ivy League football and an advocate for the league. And um, like I said, it's not going to be the same. Uh, and I think that, you know, in many ways, like our own our Jake Hamilton said it best earlier, that he made covering Harvard football a great experience. And I think that that's what it's about ultimately. And that's, that's how he's going to be remembered. It'll be interesting to see who Harvard hires there. Of course, Kevin will have more tomorrow after Coach Murphy's press conference. Uh, we're also scheduled to get some time with Coach Murphy here in the near future. And, of course, we'll have a full coverage of whoever Harvard hires. There's some great candidates on staff, so um, we'll see what happens there. But it's going to be different, fellas, for us in college football this year. Um, you know, we're not going to have Bob Chesney at Holy Cross anymore. Murph's gone now at Harvard. It's, uh, it's good. We're going to we're gonna have to get acclimated to some uh, some new faces in different places. So we'll see. All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts? Nope, stay warm. Find ways to stay warm and uh, <laughs> and, and get your uh, – uh, well, we've got our winter grants. Uh, get your parkas go. out. You get your parkas out, man. It's, it's going to be treacherous on the road. It's Armenian blood. Oh, yeah, I hate the cold. I hate hey, the cold. Hey, I, me too, me too. My Greek blood can't stand it. And, and – Today is a prime example of why I hate winter in the cold. The ice. It's like, get the Brutal. out of here with it. Brutal. I hate it. Give me 90 and humid. I want to be at that. I want to be in that tent at Patriots training camp sweating my, my you know what off because I just can't stand this stuff. Real quick story. You mentioned staying warm. And this is a, a story about the uh, former head coach at Walpole High School, the legendary John Lee. Uh, do you guys remember when Channel 5 used to do the high five? My yes. coach's high five. So they were doing a feature on one of the players at Walpole and Coach Lee's meeting with the team. I think Lynchy was going to come on Friday. They were playing on Saturday. Coach Lee's talking to the team at the end of the Thursday practice. It was at the end of the season, and, and he's talking to them about how they want to be at practice on time for high five and whatnot. And he, out of nowhere, says to the kids, uh, address warm because uh, Channel Five's coming tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That story's been passed down by dudes that were there that played at Walpole because, first of all, if you know Coach Lee, it's Coach Lee. Like, he he thought that flip-flops were galoshes. He would always yell at guys, no galoshes in practice. So if you know John Lee, the story makes sense. If you don't know John Lee, you, you're, you're left wondering, what the hell does that mean? What do you mean dress warm? Channel 5's coming. But that was Coach. But uh, that's what you made me think of when you said dress warm. Boy. Kevin, what do you got? Channel Five's coming. Okay, we uh, <laughs> we uh, we got the college all star game season coming up. Yeah, uh, just had the Hobo Bowl last week. Obviously, Jalen Coker had a hell of a touchdown catch uh, that went viral. Um, so we'll put a coverage of those games, and uh, it's draft time now, man. Um, I, I think we have, we're gonna get a nice little break. I think from um, Patriots announcements. At least I hope so for at least a couple weeks until we get a GM or so. But uh, we'll be ramping ramping up draft stuff, and uh, obviously have all the uh, the high school, excuse me, the college all star games covered. And uh, again, no off season. One last other thing. One last other thing. Uh, talk to Matt Blood, the coach of Oxbridge, uh, and that'll be up and ready to go tomorrow. Hopefully in the afternoon. Um, he, he was very enlightening. It was a good good talk. Yeah, Coach Blood did a tremendous job there. And, and of course, with the La Chapelle brothers. And, and that was a hell of a run for the Spartans. So uh, looking forward to that. And, yeah, just to kind of piggyback off what Kevin said, too. You know, we know you have plenty of Patriots coverage options out there. And as I've said on numerous occasions, our colleagues in the local media do a great job covering the Patriots. But definitely give us a look when it comes to our draft stuff. And one of the things we take pride in, we cover the games. So especially when it comes to local prospects, we know them better than anybody because we're there weekend, every weekend, weekend and week out covering them, building relationships, interacting with them. We're going to have coverage of the Bryant Pro Day, Harvard Pro Day, BC Pro Day. We'll have coverage down, you know, the UConn Pro Day, uh, UMass. We're going to cover them all. And, um, you know, so while we know you have plenty of other options out there, when it comes to, to national and local draft coverage, we're as good as anybody. So, well, we might not have the flashy graphics and the flashy, um, you know, um, videos and everything else. When it comes down to it, if you want meat and potato content, 
there isn't anybody in this market that's going to do it better than us. We feel we're on par with everybody. So uh, the way we look at it is go to anyfootballjournal.com. If you're not a member, please subscribe. We'd appreciate your business. Two ninety nine a month gets you some of the best football coverage in New England. All right, gentlemen, great job as always. Let's um, bring this thing back to Mondays. All right, that'll do it for Kevin Stone and Adam Kirch, and I'm John Serenitas. We'll be back with you in less than a week. We'll be back with you on Monday night. Until then, peace. Yeah.